sign. No, I'm serious, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. When we embrace a lot of debt as a body, and then we invite our neighbors, it's not unlike having a friend over for dinner and then asking them you to help pay the mortgage. It's the same deal. And you guys are just free of that. That's awesome. Stay that way. Stay that way. That's really exciting. My name is Randy. As I said, my wife Kelsey's with me. Uh, she'll be speaking a little bit. She's filling out her resident application right now.
But then we think it's about our Sunday mornings. I know about Sunday. He says, at the end of the day, I'm going to measure and see how you treated the widows and the orphans. It is a mandate that the Lord has given us. In fact, I believe even more than that. I believe orphan care, in a sense, is a sacrament. Because it is a picture of our relationship to God. In Romans 8, he talks about adopting us. So it is a picture of something God does for us. Like communion, like a wedding, it is a sacrament. But we have handed it off to the government because it is easier than it is to take it wrong. And the Lord spoke to us and said, if you're going to be pro-life, you've got to be pro-child. And so uh, we went through all of the steps. We adopted the, the beautiful little girl you saw down here, the four-year-old. She's back in her class now, very excited. Probably thinks she's teaching it. <laughs> That's just the way she's wired. And uh, we named her Zoe. It means life. Some days I wish we would have named her Selah. That means rest. Uh, because Zoe fits. She is on all the time. And she is a joy. She's half African-American. Half Latino, all girly, all white. Now, two years later, the Lord spurred us again in a crazy fast story that uh, I don't even have time to tell. We went from finishing a home study on a, on a Wednesday to hearing about twins that were born on Thursday to walking out of a hospital in Florida with them on Friday. We were home with twin girls before anybody even left. Just a handful of them that had gone against this girl's we probably saw them Tuesday, went out there, quarter Japanese, quarter Japanese, quarter Thai, half Caucasian. So we've got we've got five races among seven kids. And uh, we feel bad for some of you that only got one color. <laughs> like the kid with one crayon. You know, have fun. But a uh, little different, kind of United Nations at our breakfast table. In the process of adopting, we learned it's fairly complicated. And partially it has to be. Because you're actually giving a family and a child. You just want to hand out babies at random. But it's also complicated because there's a lot of money to be made in the adoption industry. And that's the industry. So that's offensive. It's, it is what it is. And so the Lord spoke to us and said, make this doable for people. Make it easier for them. Help them with the finances. Find a way to break it down. And so we founded uh, the Zoe Foundation. We're excited to have a couple of our board members here. The Jackmans are here with us. And there are board members and good friends, also the Neelys that are good friends with us. And we have discovered there is room for anyone to plug into the adoption movement and help. Some of you go, I'm not, I'm not a, a life station where I can adopt right now. I, I'd actually like to challenge you on that. I could probably make a good argument that you might be. But some of you really aren't. But you can help. The Jacklins are a huge help. The Neelys are a huge help to us. And they're a part of that. And that's part of their inheritance. I'm actually praying Becky comes and gets our twins. Every Thursday morning, it's Becky Day, and they line up, and they're all excited, and she takes them uh, to Chick-fil-A, and takes them to the library, and they have a great time with her, and I am praying that for their little grandson in New Guinea, that, that there's someone that God will raise up to love on their little grandson, and she's loving on our children, because that's just how the kingdom works. So there's room for everyone to get involved. And one of the real needs, to be quite honest, in the adoption movement is finances. It costs a fair amount to adopt a child. And we're working on that too. Recently we bought an adoption agency about a year and a half back. I was the least likely person in the world to own a business. Okay, some things you just should not do. That's probably on my list of should not do's. But I, we bought an adoption agency. Lord told us to provide all the funds for it, bought it debt free, went out and hired real smart people who love Jesus and actually do the stuff. And uh, in fact, when we sat down to do our licensing, 
uh, licensing to, to start an adoption agency is very difficult, and, and it should be. But you have to come up with all of your paperwork, including um, all of your college transcripts and everything of all of your employees. And so I'm looking, I'm going through it, I realize I have the least education and the worst GPA of the entire team. And I get to be the boss. I love America. This but we started this adoption agency, and within our own community, we can now, what cost us over $30,000 with Zoe, we're doing for seven. By trimming out expenses, like, I'm the boss, and I don't take a salary. <laughs> we just cut off a big chunk that way. And uh, my, my team that is, uh, you know, with their master's degrees, I've sat down and said, hey, uh, I'll let you help us change the world, but I can only pay you about half of what making more else. And they said, okay, we'll do that. People want to do something that matters. You know what? They don't want to push paper. They don't want to just check boxes. They want to do something that matters. And so we've attracted people to this from a vision of we can change the way adoption is going to make it to a world. Uh, most of you have in your hand a little flyer called Make the Tracks. In the, in the slavery movement, in the uh, abolition movement following slavery, there was an underground railroad that would move people from the south to the north where they could find freedom. It was legal to have slaves in the south, it was not in the north. And they would sneak them up along the rivers and, and through the creeks all the way to the north. And it was like a railroad. Conductors would take people just a little bit away. And the Lord has given us a model for us to move children from a place of needing a family into a family, encouraging people to take part, just move them a little bit further if you can. And one way that we offer people a chance to do that is just for three bucks a month, if you're able, you can contribute, and that money goes to help families adopt. It goes to birth mother care. It goes to things like, um, I'm, I'm going to hurry because my wife is having a little sweet. But we've found most birth moms are not what you expect. I thought when we started, birth moms were 17 or 18 years old, and uh, they fell in love with the high school football captain, they found themselves pregnant, and they wanted to go to college, and so they wanted to make an adoption plan. That is almost never the case. Most of the birth moms that we work with are in their late 20s. They've had an abortion or two already. They've got a restraining order against the birth father if they know who he is. I mean, their lives are a wreck. And they've made 10 bad decisions up until this point, and the Lord, by His grace, moves on them, and they make one good decision if I'm not going to avoid this baby. How that happens, I'm not sure. It's a miracle of God. But they're broke. They have. They can't work. You know, birth fathers off in Cancun somewhere. He's on vacation. He can work a job. She can't work because she's pregnant. And they have. They have needs. And so we take and we go. We, we buy uh, cards at, at uh, gift cards at Target. We send their social workers to them. We buy groceries and and supply them the things they need after if they need help getting a GED or something like that, we help both moms. Because when we adopted our twins, we flew to Florida and it was not certain that she was even going to get us to those. And we went in and we sat down in this little hospital room and she said, I just have a couple of questions. First of all, what do you do for a living? That's a little complicated. But I explained it to her in a way that made sense to her. Second of all, she said, how do you feel about multiracial children? I said, well, we have one at home. And we didn't ask what racing were we got on the airplane. She said, okay, that's good. She said, all right, only other thing I want to know is, will you just send me pictures once in a while so I know my girls are okay? That's all she asked. And with that, she walked us down the hall and handed us these twin girls. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I look at that young woman with the same tenderness that you look at these twins. 
I don't see it any different. Late twenties, messed up, rough life, drug habit, you know, all that. God says, you know what? I don't really see any difference. And the Lord convicted me and said, this thing cannot just be about the babies. It's got to be about the young women. The, the pro-life movement historically has been a, a, a message of don't. It's all about telling people what not to do. Don't abort. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, I'm not motivated by don't. I just, I don't, I don't respond to don't well. I haven't since I was a kid. I walked through the International House of Prayer. We, almost all of our staff, got a thousand people on staff, average age has got to be about 20 or 21. They're all young. And so because of that, I walked from the front to the back of the building one time and counted nine signs telling me not to do something. I was so frustrated, I got into a leadership meeting. Can we reword these signs? Because I'm tired of being told not what to do. You know, it's just, it's not how you lead people. And you can't lead young men into redemption by just telling them don't. You've got to tell them, you say yes, this is what God can do for you. You see, He can supply your needs. You know what, maybe that means I'm not wallet. So, this is what we do with this. If you are able, I would ask you to, uh, to fill this out and to help us with that mission. If you're not able, we totally understand. We ask you to keep that card and pray for us. We're real big fans of prayer. We'll talk about that a little bit. We think it works. And if you have to pick between giving and praying, pray. Because if you pray, everything will be When you're done with those, if uh, the ushers would just collect them, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much for having us. We are honored to be with you. We feel like we're against the courts. 
We said we are standing and sieging in, in prayer. We didn't. We said we're not protesting. This is a prayer meeting. It's a silent prayer meeting. We're crying out for those who have no voice, and we're crying out for abortion and God to bring a culture of life to America. And I would just say, boy, if I had a roll of red tape in a couple hours and a few radical revolutionaries, I'd find myself down at that hospital, sieging the hospital, because you don't know what God will do. We've heard stories all over the nation of young kids taking this tape, standing and praying day after day, week after week, and abortion clinics getting shut down. I'm telling you, it's no coincidence. And we need to take down the altars of Molech right here in Mont Villa. So I challenge you, continue to pray the prayer, believe with faith. God is going to do this thing. It's not cool that you can get an abortion right here in this city. Well, today, I, I, I don't want to go long. I have just a few minutes and a few things that I think the Lord, I believe, I know the Lord has sent me with a message for this place, and particularly for your pastor and Pastor Karen. I wish she was here. I don't know if it's possible that she could pop in even for a few minutes. I, I have something I feel like is for both of you. Um, okay, but just say this. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until she comes. Uh, Margaret Sanger, you guys know who Margaret Sanger is, founder of Planned Parenthood. She, there's this quote, she wrote in her book, and she said, the most merciful thing that a large family can do for one of its infants in the womb is to kill it. And the spirit of Margaret Sanger needs to be taken down. You know what that means? Did you see my little Zoe this morning with the little braids and dancing around up here? That means she said that Zoe should have been killed. You know what? It's the mercy of God that Zoe's alive. Her birth mother, who's living in Las Vegas, was a dancer in Las Vegas when she found out when she was pregnant. The easiest thing she could have done for her livelihood was to abort that child. And she carried her to full term. And we got to fly in and redeem her life. Yeah, great. I, I just, I look into her eyes every day. I look into the eyes of my twins. And I say, God, you are so good that you redeemed these children. And you gave them to us. These are your inheritance, Jesus. Yeah, so I just want to challenge you on the life issue. Get involved. This is part of the prayer movement. This really is. You want revival here in, in Wasilla, in the valley? Pray, pray for the ending of abortion in your city. Well, today I want to talk about the prayer movement because I believe the Lord is calling this place, calling you, every one of you, into the prayer movement at some level. And I just had this thought about you, Pastor Daniel. Uh, I just wondered if... There are times where you feel like you've been tricked into coming to Alaska. I mean, I, I, I just thought, you know, do you ever think, God, I thought it was going to look a little different than this. I thought I was coming here, I don't know, to see the world explode. And it just looks a little different. And I, I got this picture in my mind of Evan Almighty. You see in the movie? Okay. 
It's actually a prophetic movie. I had an encounter with God watching a movie. I know that story. Let's just, you know, just don't judge, okay? But the movie, it's about this hometown hero weatherman turned congressman. And he gets voted in to go change the world. And that's actually his motto. His slogan is, what are we going to do? Change the world. And he rallies the people because he's going to change the world when he gets to D.C. And he, he, he wakes up every morning and he looks in the mirror. And he's a meticulous man. And he, you know, he, he's grooming himself. And as he, he's getting ready, looking in the mirror, he repeats this mantra every morning. I'm successful, powerful, handsome, happy. What are we going to do? Change the world. And he goes to D.C. And God, God appears to him. And he's not a God-fearing man, but God appears to him and says, build the ark. And he says, I mean, he said, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. I'll be mocked. What do you mean to build an ark? And he couldn't come to terms with it. He's like, God, I don't know if you're real or not, but are you nuts? This is, this is nuts. But what he didn't know, it was for the deliverance of a city. He was going to build this big boat and save the city from a flood. And Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen, God has sent me here today to say, build the ark. It's the mandate of heaven for you to build the ark here in Wilson. You said this morning, I, 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 it's, it's no coincidence. You said you have a mandate on you, on this body, to build a 24-7 house of prayer. That is the mandate from heaven. I just affirm that to you. I affirm that to this body. You may not get that. You know, we have this thing called an Israel mandate at the house of prayer in Kansas City. And Mike Bickle had this big banner made like 20, 30 years ago, hung it in the church, and it said, Israel Mandate. And people would say, what's that? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is God said it, and we're going to do it someday. I don't know what it looks like, but we're going to declare it until God shows us how to walk it out. And I'm going to say to you today, you keep declaring it. You keep fighting off little chunks of that elephant, and he is going to show you how to walk this thing out. I'll tell you a little story. I'm going to try to fly through this. But I think this story is important. Uh, three years ago, uh, Alaska was not on my radar. I thought it would probably be cool to take a cruise here someday. But um, totally not on my radar at all. And, uh, of course, Sarah Palin comes onto the scene, and Alaska comes on to everybody's radar. <laughs> and the Lord asked me to pray for her and her family during the election, which I did. And pretty soon after that, he said, but it's not just about Sarah Palin. This is about Alaska. Will you take Alaska on as a prayer assignment? And will you pray for a mighty youth revival to come out of Wasilla? And I said, okay, God, I will. I don't even know where Wasilla is. <laughs> And I remember standing under this huge map. We have like a, I don't know, 14-foot map of the world on our prayer room wall. And I would look up at Alaska, and I'd say, where's Wasilla? And I 
I would try to find it, and it's way high up. I can't see it very well. But thank God. May a mighty youth revival come out of that little place. And may it be a light that would shine in the nations, God. And so much faith arose in my heart for this revival to come out of the city. And then he said, and it's about the house of prayer. And he gave me a word. It was a powerful word of the Lord about 24-7, day and night, house of prayer that would be built in this city. And I said, well, God, what about Anchorage? That makes a little more sense that there's a little more of a population base, you know, probably a few more resources. He said, no, the governmental center of Alaska is in Wasilla. And that is where I want my house to be built. There'll be houses of prayer everywhere. But there is something special about the city. And so I wrote down the word, and I just, I prayed for months. This was November 2008 when I got this word, and I prayed and prayed and prayed. I would bet almost daily for, for the house of prayer to be raised up here. In March of 2009, I see headlines that uh, Mount Redout is starting to rumble. There might be an eruption, and it just triggered in my mind, oh, it's the word. Because when God gave me the word in my Mind, I believed that there would be a natural disaster to confirm the word. Again, I know that may sound weird, but that's just what was in my spirit. And I thought it might be an earthquake, because I thought Alaska earthquakes. But this, this volcanic rumbling caught my attention. And I thought, I need to get the word to Alaska. But the problem is, I don't know anybody in Alaska, much less Wasilla. And so when you know, I start praying, God, how am I going to get the word to Wasilla? And a friend of a friend of a friend happened to know this lady who prays. And so I send her the word about a 24-7 house of prayer. And within two or three hours, I get a phone call from this woman, Pam Weaver. Many of you may know her. She's an intercessor from the Valley Pastors Prayer Network. And she says, uh, Kelsey, uh, you know, we're just meeting each other. She said, this word is right on. In fact, today, I just got the confirmation from the pastor's prayer network that we want to go forward with pursuing a day and night house of prayer in the valley. I'm like, okay, well, we're, I'm, I'm on it with you. Just know that I'm with you. And a few days later, March 22nd, that volcano erupts. And it's a confirmation to me that God wants his house built here. Now, Mount Redoubt, how many of you know, I'm sure you know better than me, uh, that uh, Redoubt is a military term. It's, it's a fortification. It's a wall that's built around a fort as a last line of defense. And God is saying through the shaking of that volcano, I want my wall built here. The house of prayer will be the ark of safety. It will be the wall of defense. It will be the thing that protects and saves and delivers in the days to come. Isaiah 56, 7 talks about the house of prayer. It says he's going to bring the nations to the house of prayer. He's going to give them joy in the house of prayer. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And in John 2, verse 12, 13 through 17, and I won't read it because of time, but Jesus, it's where we all know the story. He goes into the temple, he sees the money changers, and he says, No! And he goes nuts, and he turns the tables over, and he says, My house will be called a house of prayer. 
See, the house, his place, the church, the temple then, the church now, was to be a place of encounter with him. It was a place set apart, holy, not filled with activity. People should walk over the threshold and behold the beauty of God. That's what he desires. And the money changers, they weren't necessarily bad. They were actually providing a service for the people. They were trying to help them engage with the sacrifice by offering them, uh, you know, doves and other things. But the, the problem is, it took away from the original intent. It created an activity that was unnecessary within the place of encounter. And Jesus said, no, you've caused confusion. There's distraction in my house. The nations are supposed to come to behold my glory. And you've created activity that, that doesn't let them see that. And the, the, the disciples realized that in the Psalms it says, oh, they remembered it said, the zeal for his house consumes him. This, the temple was no longer a place of encounter, but it was a place of duty and religious exercise. And Jesus said, I never meant for that to be like that. This place was a place where people would meet me. They knew they could make a pilgrimage and find my presence, not find activity. See, the tabernacle of David, that place that we want to see raised up in our time, it was a place where God's glory rested. His very presence dwelled in the tabernacle. And they didn't sacrifice animals. He sacrificed with singing and praise and, and prayer. It said that the tabernacle of David had employed 200 full-time singers and 4,000 full-time musicians and 4,000 gatekeepers. Those who would protect the word of the Lord and continue to, to offer the flame before God. Make sure the flame never went out. And that's what God wants to build in our day, in our time, right here in this valley. Tell you very quickly about a little encounter I had. Randy and I were in Carmel, California. And we were on a writing retreat. And I, Piper was with us. And so we would take turns. Writing in this little beach cottage, it was really divine. It was amazing. And I was all by myself in this cottage, and I looked up on the mantle, and on the mantle of the fireplace, it had Haggai 2.9 inscribed on it. And it said, and in this place, you will have peace. I will give peace. And I, I just thought, God, I don't want to leave this place without an encounter with you. I want to know you. I, why not here? Why not now? Why can't I see you right here? Just come meet me. I was intensely seeking him in a personal way. And uh, he, he just said, well, why don't you just start reading the book of Haggai? It's written on the mantle. And so I did. And I start reading in chapter 1. And the Spirit of God bursts into my into my soul and he says and I hear it almost on the inside he says it's time for the house of prayer to be raised up in Wasilla and I'm like well come on God I know you like Alaska but I was kind of hoping for something a little more personal <laughs> you know I'll pray for them later but could you give me something <laughs> 
just said it again. It's time for the house of prayer to be raised up in Wasilla. He is zealous for his house to be built here. Zealous enough to break in on me, a Kansas Cityan, on my vacation, asking God for a personal little kiss, and then he has to talk to me about you. <laughs> I'm okay with it, though. <laughs> and I'll tell you this. As the Lord began to, to just draw us into this experience with you, because we've labored in prayer for this to happen, uh, there, we just had connections with uh, many of the pastors in the valley, many of the intercessors, and we, we knew that we were planning a trip here in November to help support and encourage and even prophesy the house of prayer to be built. And my friend, my friend Pam Weaver, she emailed me just that the people that were going to be at this meeting, this pastor's meeting, so I could begin to pray. And she said, oh, and there's a pastor, Pastor Daniel Bracken, he'll be there as well. And I think maybe at that time you weren't necessarily a part of the VPN, but you were kind of in and out. And so I hadn't heard your name before, but the Lord highlighted your name in that email. And I thought, oh God, what is this striking my spirit? You have a call on this man's life. And I began to pray for you and your family in this place from an email. And in the meeting, we walk into the meeting at the, at the VPPN, and Randy and I are sitting down, and you came in and sat down. I didn't know who you were, but I leaned over to Randy, and I said, hey, Randy, I think that's that Daniel guy. <laughs> I don't know what the Lord just said. That's him. And God said, you're the man. You're the man. He's highlighting you. This is a divine invitation to a place of encounter. It's not just a mandate to do something. And it's for both of you. This is a place of encounter. He wants to take you to a place of beholding his beauty and, and, and just encounter with him in such a just deep way. And we're going to pray that over you before we leave. And for all of you, because you know what? He's going to lead you. The Lord is going to leave all of you in that place. Amen. So Haggai, as I go through Haggai, again, for time I won't read it, but I encourage you to read it. Haggai was given uh, a mandate by the Lord. He said, go give a prophetic exhortation to build my house. Because the people, they had come out of exile back to Jerusalem. They started to build the temple and they built the altar. But then they got discouraged. And then they got kind of tired. And then they ran out of money, and then a bunch of people started mocking them and said, well, what do you think you're doing anyway? Building a temple. Who are you? You guys were just in prison, in Babylon. You, guys, you probably just got to get your house in order first. And the enemy sent discouragers to be sown among them, and for 16 years they quit building the temple. And God sends Haggai and Zechariah to kickstart the whole, the whole thing over again. And in Haggai 2, verse 4 and 5, he says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua, the governor and the high priest. This is a governmental anointing. This is a, the, the, the kings and the priests are coming into this. Be strong, all you people of the land, 
and work according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. You know what God is saying? He's saying, I have a covenant with you to do this thing. Go for it. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. And that's the word of the Lord for you today. Go for it. The elephant might feel funny in your mouth when you're chewing. But he says, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. Haggai 2, going on, 6 through 9. The Lord says, once more, and he's talking. In that day, he was talking about a way future day that's our day. Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heaven and the earth. I'm going to shake the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake all of the nations so they come to the desire of the nations. Jesus. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. And the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former house. And in this place, I will give you peace. See, he's saying, this is my idea. The resources for this thing are mine. You build my house, I'll build yours. See, when the Lord brings great shakings to the earth, which he is about to do, he will give peace in his house of prayer. In this place of encounter, when you build a place for your city to come and encounter the Lord, because day and night you cried out to him, and, and day and night they can come, then he will bring peace to a city when the, when the shakings begin all around you. Can you imagine a place where a, a woman gets up with her baby and the baby is sick, has a fever in the middle of the night. And instead of going to the hospital where they'll perform abortions on that, on little babies, she comes to the house of prayer because you're open day and night. And there's healing in the house of prayer. And there's somebody to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And that baby is healed in an instant. We don't need the hospital anymore because we have the glory of God. Can you imagine that the, the, the young man, the young teenage man who's, who's listening to rock music in his bedroom at, at three in the morning and his parents are passed out drunk in the living room and he has the spirit of suicide come over him. And instead of calling the hotline, he's like, I heard about this place that's open day and night. And there's deliverance in the house of prayer. This is what this is about, people. You know, we have so many people that say, seems like such a waste of time to sit around in a room all day and talk to an invisible God. Shouldn't you be doing something? Shouldn't you be building the kingdom? Telling you what, you sit around in a room and you talk to God and you repeat back to Him His Word. Oh, you will be doing so much more than what you could do in eight hours, ten hours a day, running yourself ragged. We have people tell us, we're missionaries at IHOP, the International House of Prayer, and our mandate, part of our mandate is you spend 24 hours a week in the prayer room. And 24 hours a week, you do your your administrative job. Well, that's that's a little difficult for people who are used to working full time. You know, Randy has a challenge in that he has 40, 50 hours of administrative work to do in 24. But those 24 hours that he can spend before the living God 
actually gives him fuel to get more done in the other 20 minutes. And people say to us, well, are you ever going to get a real job? Well, you know, no offense, but this is, this is the most honorable job on the planet to sit before the Lord. And why do we do it? We do it because he's worthy. He is worthy of a place in this city where people would adore him day and night. Where people would behold the beauty of God and call it out to him day and night. It's not just about coming to him with requests and rock, you know, rock pile intercession, we call it. Rah, 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 rah. You know, we can only do the call so long yeah. before we have to sit back and say, you are beautiful, Jesus. We adore you. You are worthy. The last night we drove around looking for a place to eat after the call. We fasted all day. We figured, well, the sun isn't really going down, so we might as well just break the fast. And so, you know, Taco Bell and the pancake place are the only places that open in this town. I'm saying Jesus is worthy that he has a house of prayer open all night long. Don't let Taco Bell beat you guys out. (laughs) You want to bring heaven to earth? You do what they're doing in heaven. Revelation 4 gives us a peek into the beauty of the throne room and what's going on before the throne of God. And day and night they never rest, calling holy, holy, holy is the name of our God. Revelation 5 talks about uh, how the intercessors in heaven around the throne are given a harp and a bowl. And we know the bowl is full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. And so they, they have a harp. They're worshiping with music. There's something about the song. And it's mingled with their prayers. And that's what's going on in heaven. And we bring that to earth. In our Revelation 8, and I'll, I'm just going to end with this for a minute. And then I'm going to ask Pastor Daniel to come back up for, for just a moment. And then I'll, I'm going to pray for you. But Revelation 8. It says... When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with all the prayers of the saints upon the altar. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And here's what I want you to get from this. You ever wonder why there's silence in heaven for half an hour? At the, at the seventh seal? It's a mystery, isn't it? But here's, I just want to submit this to you. What would make the created angels who have day and night for billions of years, they've been singing holy to him. They've never stopped, not even for a minute, for eternity past. What would make them stop singing for half an hour? Here's what I think it might be. There's an angel, and he's bringing a censer, and it's filled with the prayers of the saints. And I think God on his throne says, Oh, my people have finally taken their place. They are interceding before me day and night. 
place. The angels are only a stopgap. They were never meant to be the forever, the forever answer. We were created for this. We were created to stand before him. We were created for encounter. That's what he created you for. So I just want to challenge you today. How will you, how will you respond to this? In just a few moments, I want to pray for you. I want to pray and release the Spirit of God upon this place for this man. I'm going to ask Pastor David. Put your hands together for God. So rapidly, we hit 275 people within, I don't know, two months, two, three months, I remember, about that, the lesson. There would be a line of people that would line up to, to talk and get counsel, and, and then after everybody would leave, after the week, at the front of the church where I sit. Because the dream that I had, I had this dream. I had a dream of revival. Jesus, that's what my life is all about. It's about God, loving Him and loving people. It's, it's, what, it's what our life's about. Loving God and being a deliverer of men. Sound familiar? I would weep because I knew that God was bringing a revival. so real. 
so loud to me that there's only one thing that can be. My wife and children. I thought, supremely motivated. No problem, no problem, I'm going to say no problem. I was motivated. And I fasted for 40 days. On the water. Not sure how that happened. Those 40 days I spent mostly on the water. In the prayer room. Streaming.
check, make it out to KC. We'll be sure that they get one check. Send them on with one check.
you're saying yes to something that you don't know what it's going to look like. It's like you said, I don't know how, I know why. I want to give you one tool, though, and it's called the beauty of God. Prayer will become drudgery without being fueled by the beauty of the man Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray that God would open heaven over this place. You know, there are seasons of time where you have open heavens. Do you know what I mean? There have been seasons and perhaps been in your lives where the Lord has shown up in unusual ways, in unusual seasons of power. And I'm asking God to open heaven, open a window of time for this body where he would visit you with supernatural manifestations of his grace and his mercy and of open eyes seeing the beauty of God. I want to call up those who would like personal prayer because I'd like to lay hands on you and I'd, I'd like to ask my husband and Bruce and Becky, Kirk and Stacy, if you guys are willing. I know Becky's being touched right now. But these guys carry this and I want to impart to you and ask God, bless them with the beauty of God. Father, would you do it? Would you open eyes in this place to see your beauty? God, would you give us a fresh revelation of how worthy is your son, the beautiful man who is altogether lovely. Oh God, your leadership is perfect. And we ask God that you would baptize us in revelation. We ask God that you would let us see the eyes of flaming fire and how you look at us with divine love. And I'm asking for revelation for encounters over this place. God, I'm asking that goes on, but even your very face, would you show us your face? I'm asking God, like Joel 2 promised, that you would pour out your spirit, that that no men would have dreams, that all men would see visions, dreams and visions and prophecies, God, let there be an unusual season of this, God, a baptism in the prophetic for this body. I just want you to stand and come forward if you would like prayer. Maybe we can just have a little bit of worship, or we can just direct our hearts to the throne. I want to lay hands on you, pray, and impart this to you, and ask the Lord to do something mighty this season. While the team is praying, those of you online, those here in the, in the sanctuary, just bow your heads for a moment. If you're not right with God today, we want to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus.
United States of America. Yeah. 